Well, I've got, a, I've got a question for you, but I need to lead you in the right direction so you have the, the answer, okay? So here in a moment, I'm going to ask you your opinion or thoughts. Hopefully it's accurate and you're not going to lie because you, you, are, you are in church. Uh, so here, here's the scenario. Have you, have you ever heard of this? And I'll give you the definition. When one person and another person refuse to let go of what they want to do, it's called the, the battle of wills. Have you ever experienced that ever in your life before? Show of hands. Let me just see. Okay. Wanted to make sure we're, that's everybody. Uh, I know everyone at RCMU East West, everyone has, has experienced this wonderful part of life. <laughs> if, you, if you've ever been around a kid that you are the authority figure of that kid, and for about, I think it takes 30 seconds maybe, you're going to probably land at this destination where they're going to they're gonna want to do something and, and you're going to want to do something probably entirely different. It's called the battle of wills. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe work. Anyone, don't, don't point out your workplace, but um, many times at our workplaces, this is a constant. You show up to work, and it's all day long, this, this, this battle of, of wills. Uh, if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've ever had a brother or a sister in your home, you're like, oh my goodness. Who sits where, no matter where you are? Who gets to listen to what, watch whatever? Who get, It's... You and I have experienced this. You know this. This is not, it's nothing new to you. And frankly, it's frustrating, right? It, it, you should, some of you, you love a good argument. And, okay, it should be frustrating. I want to take it further. I want to I take the battle of the wills. And I, I'd like to press it into your life a little bit. Because here's what I think is going on. I think in your life and mine as well, every single day, you and I have a battle of wills between one and another. Let me show you what goes on in our brains. What I should do, what I feel like doing. Anyone? Anyone have that battle of the wills? Okay, some of you, you don't. And I just, the rest of the sermon will mean nothing to you at all. I think if you're on as you have this. For me, if I think about a donut, it just locks in and it's like, should I? I mean, it's probably healthy in some way. I can figure it out. There was probably... Probably milk used, and so, I don't know, but what, what I should do, what I feel like doing, maybe it's food related, maybe it's health related, uh, definitely relationship stuff. You've been there. What I should do, like what I, what I should say, and what I feel like saying. You know where you've had, it's like literally tipped it over for you in your mind, and you're like, oh, if they do this one more time, I am going to let them know how evil they actually are. Most of us have experienced this when with this inner battle in our minds. We know what we should do, but we feel like something entirely different. If you've ever been there, you know something. You know that if, if you go with what you felt like doing, that that can be very dangerous. It can be incredibly dangerous to a relationship, to a job. It can be incredibly dangerous to your family and to you personally. And it is very common and it is very problematic if you and I don't think about this, if we don't look up what's going on in our minds, this inner battle of the wills, if you and I don't tackle this, we could end up at a place where you probably have been, at least in a subtle way, where you did what you felt like doing and then you regretted it. Let me show you who you who you might feel like, because this is in the Bible. I, I love it when the Bible like, literally speaks straight to me. 
I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Anyone else? Just the pastor. Okay, no, okay. Okay. I mean, this, this is like real life stuff. I, I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. Most of us, if you're willing to fess up to this, we'll be like, yes. How'd they know? Because it's true. It's common. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. You and I wrestle with this. Do you know why? Because we have feelings. <laughs> There's certain things that we want to do. We're in the mood for it. And we have a tendency to favor our feelings. In fact, I've been wrestling with a question that I thought... Well, like usual, if it's wrecking my life, I'm going to pass it on as a gift. So, so here you go. Uh, do you rule your feelings or do they rule you? I think it's a good question. I just hate it. But it's one of those questions you're like, you probably, if, if you're like, I don't typically bring this stuff up with myself. and be like, yeah, that's just what I'm in the mood to go for. Because if it is, wouldn't do it. Do you rule your feelings? When you have a feeling, are you in charge of it or is it in charge of you let me help you understand if it's ruling you it will likely ruin you it will likely take you down a path that you don't want to end up and I know along the way you're like but but I was indulging it felt good it felt right it was like yeah yeah but I'm telling you if it's all about your feelings that's not a great way to live in fact if this question's still messing with you, let me give you some time. You let it mess with you, and I want to tell you a story. Uh, I think this is good. It's about the Olympics. I don't know if you like the Olympics. I love the Olympics. I don't know if you favor the summer ones or the winter ones or whatever. But I got into studying because I'm always interested to know like, what preparation did the athletes go? Like, what would they do? How long they do it? How hard do they work? Like, like, I know you and I watch, like, you better win the gold or we're going to be mad at you. But, but... What happened all up to that point? And a, a journalist went and visited the training center. There's, there's multiple training centers, but there's a main training center that athletes show up to. And, and here's what's cool. So when they show up, they, they think pretty much what you and I think, that they're there to win medals for the United States of America and for themselves, right? Like they're going to go after that. And that's, many of us watch this and we think that's like the best part of it. Well, well when the guy... When the journalist was interviewing the psychologist, which they have a psychologist on site. They seem weird to you at first, but listen. Uh, his job is primarily to help the athletes mentally prepare for the Olympics and works with them. And, and, and he said something that, I, uh, it's profound. Here's the quote. We train athletes to focus on execution, not outcome. Now, if you're not reading between the lines, not the medal. Not, not where, what place they stand on the stand. They train them to be all about execution. So they, they let the athletes believe all they want when they show up. They're like, you're going to get gold. And like, yeah, you can believe it for a second. But as soon as they start their training, they're not even supposed to bring it up anymore about the gold medal, the silver medal. They're not supposed to be about the outcome anymore. They're supposed to dive into execution. If you're not understanding, I'll explain the specifics the article said. It means in their training, when they show up, and let's say they're a swimmer. 
You're like, all right, the goal of being a swimmer is to get a certain time that is faster than other swimmers. You're welcome. You can write that down. And so you're thinking, you think that's the goal, right? No, no, not with the Olympians. They show up for training. It's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. All day long, we're going to work on you getting your right arm over faster. That's it. And then the next day, we'll likely do the same thing. Some of you are like, then I'm never being a swimmer. I'm never going to do that. That's a, right? Or, or if you were on the volleyball team, you're like, okay, the goal is to score more points than the other team. No, no, no. They'll spend a whole day on executing a serve. If you're a runner, it's not about being faster than the other one for the whole race. They'll start executing. They'll say, all right, we're going to see how fast you can get off the line, and we're going to work on that for a month. See, this is what takes these athletes to an elite level. And this is what puts on your plate and mine incredible life lessons. What have you been all about lately? Execution or outcome? Because if you're outcome motivated, oftentimes you get consumed by your feelings because you might be going, I lost the medal. I didn't win the medal. I've got to get the medal. Walking into your life, I've got to be the, the ideal spouse. I've got to be incredible at work. I've got to, I've got to make sure I'm an awesome parent. My, my kids, they cannot fail. See what consumes us? When we don't have the income that you want. You're like, I don't have the money that I, that I need. Oh, no, what are we going to do? And you think about the future, the unknown. You're thinking about the outcome and neglecting the execution. Then, then you take all of this and apply it to God. And it can really jack you up. Let me show you. This is, this is where we've been. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You want some insight to the life of a pastor? Where I have sat with many on their deathbed. People who have followed Jesus Christ incredibly facing some doubt of whether or not they will actually end up in heaven. Because many of us are tempted to go and dwell on the outcome and not the execution. And I get the privilege of reminding them, no, you have been walking with the Lord. It's not about perfection. It's about execution. And you and I read, I'm supposed to love God with everything? Don't answer out loud, but have you ever felt insecure about your relationship with God where you wonder if it's not good enough, grand enough, perfect enough? See, that's when you and I are dwelling on the outcome and we freak out and our feelings begin to dominate where some say, you know what, I don't feel like I can even do this. I'm done with God and church, right? You see what happens in our minds when we're all about the outcome? Now, some of you think I'm completely hating on feelings and you're taking okay the application of today's sermon from pastor david is don't feel anything no no here, here. feelings aren't bad just don't let them run your life i'm not saying that what you feel has no value whatsoever but many of us are so outcome-based that all we can think about is how we're winning the medal or not winning the medal, winning at life or not winning, and we are just full up here, and, and we're leaving the tracks up here. Let me talk to those of you who call yourselves Christians. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, 
You gotta think about what you committed to. Let me, let me show you. My old self has been crucified with Christ. My old self, my old idea, I'm going to do things my way based on how I feel in the moment, based on the mood, just going which way or that way, based on the wind. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He sacrificed for me. See, when I talk to you about loving God with everything you have, including your mind, that outcome can derail us. And you may not know what to do with your feelings about it. So there's multiple things that you and I do with our feelings. I thought I would isolate the two main ones. One, we'll elevate our feelings and screw our lives up. Huh. Uh, we'll, we'll literally give them a crown. Like, like whatever you feel, many of us, we, we, know, we know people like this. We aren't, but we know people where, where whatever mood they're in, they're in charge. And many of us right now, our emotions, our feelings are literally ruling the day. They are, if, if you're bad mood, good mood, mediocre mood, if it's the greatest time or the lowest time, and we let our feelings dominate and, and lead us, and there's dangers. I'll show you the dangers. Self-control is low. Because if your feelings are in charge, then as soon as you want it, you're going to go after it, which means there's no need for self-control. If you've ever found yourself in an environment or a situation or a series of events where you're like, how did I get here? Oftentimes you can trace it back. Oh, oh, I, I went with what I felt and gave up self-control and then selfishness is high. Our feelings have a tendency to lie to us and to pursue what we're simply just craving and if you elevate your feelings, I'm going to tell you, it's really difficult to love God with all of your mind when your feelings are ruling your life. And if you've ever battled with this, I hope it resonates. Where you're like, I want to live God. I mean, I, I, ideally that sounds like what I want to do with my life, but I struggle with it. Perhaps you've let your feelings lead the way at it and it doesn't work well. But maybe you're the opposite, <laughs> where you're ignoring your feelings, huh? An ostrich with his head in the sand if you're like, what is that? Maybe, maybe you, you're feeling something. You're wanting something. You're like, I don't want to. I don't want to. So I'm not going to tell anybody about it. I'm just, no, it's, I'm not thinking that. I'm not thinking, no, no, just move on. Some of us are great at this, we think. Or just press forward. <laughs> Ignore it. Don't think about it. But you are thinking about it. Have you ever tried to tell yourself to stop thinking about it? Then all of a sudden you think about it even more and you're like, stop, 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 I'm going to ignore. I'm, not, I'm just going to, no. Here's what happens if you ignore your feelings. Self-esteem goes low because you're still feeling it, which means because you won't express it or talk to anybody about it, especially God, you're going to start to feel bad about yourself. Going, I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't want this. Especially if what you're feeling is a sin. And if it's a sin and you're like, I shouldn't want that sin, you're going to start, if you don't share it, if you don't, if you don't deal with it, if you just ignore it, you're going to be full of shame. And then sadness becomes just an ultimate high there where, where all the time you will just be sad because you're ignoring what's going on in your brain. All of that, all of that. To deal with our brain. To love God with all of our heart, soul, and definitely 
mind. Just so you know, one of the major battles you and I face with God is actually loving him with our mind. And so here's what we do. I thought I'd give you an application. Here, here we go. Lead your feelings through your actions. Now, I'm, I'm not going to get sarcastic because I really want to get sarcastic here. But let's just pretend that you don't feel like doing something. Like going to work. Like going to school. Like studying for the test. Like doing the dishes when you worked all day long. I don't know where you're at. Can you imagine when you don't, you don't feel like it? You have this. So what do you do? Many of us, we listen to our feelings, don't we? Our culture right now will tell you, if you feel it, launch from there. Let everything about what you feel, what you, what you sense, what, what seems right to you, launch everything of your life out of that. That's how you determine your actions. And that's why if you're an employer, you're having a hard time finding good workers. See, what I'm telling you, the breakdown is, is there was an older generation all the way back into the Bible that even though they didn't feel like it, they acted their way into feeling it. Does it make sense? And many of us have forgotten this incredible understanding that if you don't feel it, let your actions tell your feelings something. Why you, you marinate in that a little bit, let me go back to the Olympics. The most decorated Olympian of all time, Michael Phelps. Now, I don't know what your opinion is of him. That's not the point here. But what I can tell you is um, he's pretty good at swimming. Um, if you aren't familiar with him or the Olympics, I believe he got 28 medals, all-time high, like incredible, incredible, incredible swimmer. Some of us might think, well, he was just naturally gifted, right? I mean, he was just born that way. I mean, I don't know if you, you probably have friends like I have friends who just if they just try something brand new, they succeed, and you want to be happy for them. You're like, happy for you. I've been playing golf all my life. and you. Ugh. I mean, many of us have friends like that. You might think that an athlete is just born that way, and they just have that. Or maybe you work with someone who seems to just achieve all the time. Well, well, I think it's worth talking about what the coach, Michael Phelps' coach, said about him. Because he got asked all the time, like, what do you guys do in training? Is he just a, a weirdo that just can just swim better than everybody else? He says, oh, no, I can, I can tell you the main difference. He says, most of, most of the Olympians who swim, when they wake up and feel sick, they don't come in and swim. When they don't feel like meeting with their sponsors, when they don't feel like working out, they don't. He says, but I'll tell you, Michael, every single time, every single time when he, when he was sick and he didn't feel like coming in, when he wasn't in the mood, he came in and swam every single time. In fact, if you get into his schedule, it's interesting. So obviously he got very popular and uh, he had sponsors and, and news media. Uh, he would build everything where they, they did not have access to him until he worked out. In fact, like sponsors who were like, uh, we're going to give you money. Many of us, when we have something new added to our life, like things are going well and, and maybe you got a kid to your life or you got married or, or things are going well, we begin to lose our minds. Like, oh my goodness, how do I do all of this? What, what he did was, he's like, you know what? I've got to execute. And so, and so I'm going to make sure I work out. Everything else has to happen uh, before or after that. The only way you make that decision, listen very closely. The only way you do that is you have to sacrifice something. You can't 
win at execution without sacrificing. And many of us right now are trying to love God with everything without the element of sacrifice. So I thought I'd point something out. It's been profound to me. Sacrifice is the action your mind desperately needs. If you ever find yourself full of worry, nervousness dominating your thoughts for the day, if you ever look at the future and go, I don't, I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't, if you ever wrestle with trusting God, this whole idea, this love God with everything we've got, and if you're ever just very open and honest, which you ought to be, where you're like, I hear you, Pastor David, but that's so difficult in the tough moments, the rainstorms of life. That's so tough. How do I get my mind to not fake this where it's just a religion and it's just faked and I'm sitting in a seat just trying to pretend like this is all real to me? How do I not do that? Sacrifice. In fact, you can walk this out to any relationship in your life. If you want a thriving relationship, you will never get it unless you're willing to sacrifice for that person. And that includes... God. Remember what we're going after? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. You can't do that if you refuse to sacrifice anything to Him. Many of us are trying for multiple reasons. And in fact, I thought we should lean into a very profound story at the very beginning of the Bible. Because if you don't know this already, God gave us how to not be selfish plan, how to sacrifice plan, how to actually walk this out to where our mind is not consumed with worry, and it was built on sacrifice. Let me give you context. Adam and Eve, first people on earth, if you don't know that. If you read this very beginning of your Bible, start in Genesis chapter 1. You're going to walk into the creation story and then see how everything begins to open up. They're the first. They start to add kids to the mix. You don't need, I'm not going to describe how that happens, but they added kids to the mix and they had Cain and Abel. And it's in their lives that you and I learn a lot. Let me show you. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Now, I won't make you raise your hands, but many of us feel insecure when we read the Bible. Or if I asked you just privately, hey, how do you feel about studying the Bible? Do you feel like you know how to study the Bible, learn the Bible, know the Bible? Many of us, if you don't know this, would say, don't ever ask me that question, Pastor David. Don't ever ask. Well, let me, let me teach you how to read the Bible. Let's slowly go through this. Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. Let me help you. Abel became a shepherd. He worked with animals. There you go. That's seminary work right there. That's, he, he had animals. Um, cultivated the ground. Dude, you need farmers, right? Like he, he raised crops. Now, if you should be asking, who cares, right? 
Who cares if that's in the... Some of you are thinking, I'm crazy going, like, what's the point? How is this helping me get my mind straight? Oh, it's a big deal because Abel's ability to survive in life, his well-being, his way to pay his bills, to raise a family, to have what he needed was being a shepherd. Cain grew crops. What this is telling you is very simple. It is simply saying everyone has a way to survive in life, right? Everyone chooses it. We have all different ways to choose this. The Bible is outlining, hey, guess what? Here's how these guys found their well-being, how they actually survived, their source of income. That's what they did. Now we keep reading. Cain presented some, and Abel brought the best. Don't disconnect this. Think about what you do to survive, how you, whatever you do to pay the bills, what pays the bills. Typically nowadays, it's called the dollar bill, okay? And you get it in different ways. Well, they took their well-being and Cain presented some, Abel brought the best. Then you keep reading. The Lord accepted the best and he did not accept the sum. For some of you, this begins to tear apart your understanding of God. Because if you're wondering if you just read this right, yes, two people who love God went about sacrificing to God way different. One was about the outcome, where it's like he didn't care what it was. He was just doing what was required in order to, to love. So he, so he brought some. The other was about execution. How do I make sure I love God well? Hmm. Let me put this into your life. Do you give God the best of what you have or some of what you have? If you're offended, I understand. Some of you are like, of all the weekends to go to church. I can finish the story real quick for you. Cain and Abel, one brother killed the other brother. What I'm telling you is, this subject of life called sacrificing to God has been offensive since the beginning of time. Offensive. Way offensive. Do you give God the best of what you have or some of what you have? As you, some of you are going, I'm wrestling with this. This is a big conversation. I thought I would walk you in to an interview of sorts. <laughs> Kids. Kids were around Christmas time invited to say, what would you like for Christmas? It seemed honest at first, and it seemed just basic at first that they would share what they wanted for Christmas. But what the interviewers had intended walked it out and plays into this conversation we're having. Take a look. So this year for Christmas, what are you hoping to get? A computer. Big, giant Barbie house. A trophy case. Xbox 360. Minecraft Legos. What do you think your mom or dad want for Christmas? My mom would probably want a ring. She's never really had a ring. Jewelry. She loves jewelry. A new TV. My watches. So, you actually did buy an Xbox 360. What in the world? I wanted this! Okay, you you really got this for me? A new laptop. Wow! It's a necklace! So we also bought a necklace because you said you also wanted to get a necklace for your mom or your auntie. 
catch is that you can either get a gift for yourself huh? or you can pick a gift for your mom and dad. I need you to pick one. Now, now before you answer, oh, I bet that's hard. Is that a really hard question? Mm-hmm. What gift do you pick? I choose this. I gotta go with the ring. What gift do you pick? That one. That one. That dress. I'll choose this for my mom. I'll choose this one. It's a really tough question. I'll give him this. You already know? Tell me why. Because Legos don't matter. Lego, your family matters. Not Legos, not toys, your family. So it's either family or Legos, and I choose family. I get gifts every year from my family, and my mom don't get anything. If I get a laptop, my mom will get something. She helps me when I'm sick. She helps me with my homework. She gave me a house to live in. They look out for me and do stuff for me, so I need to give back to them. Now I have the opportunity to give them something. Because you actually picked the gift for your family, you're actually gonna go home with both. Tell me how you're feeling. I'm feeling really happy and Why? thankful. Just happy, thankful. For your family, for what? My family, everything. He did make his decision, actually. And oh he God. picked the Pandora charm. Oh, that is, you're gonna make me cry. So what are you gonna do to me? Oh, it's for me? Oh, it's for you. Those kids have so much to teach us. What have you been doing? Don't answer out loud. I just want you to process. When you've faced this decision every time you've been paid, what have you been doing? And I know many of us right now, you're, you might be wrestling with this going, so, so you're saying to take from my well-being the, the income that I, I make, David, I'm supposed to give God some of it. And I don't have enough. I kindly, I kindly need to show you something. Uh, there's always enough if the relationship is worth it. I could dance around the conversation. I could avoid the truth of the topic, but what I will tell you is you cannot have a healthy relationship if you refuse to sacrifice. You understand and believe that with any other human relationship, the same is with God. And I challenge you to lean into loving God with everything you've got, untangling some of the things going on in your brain. Could it be linked to an unwillingness to give him your best? If you think it's God out to get you if you don't do this or that, oh no. Let me, let me take you back to the story. You'll be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. And this is what many of us think. God's going to get you. No, read this. Uh, just listen. Sin is crouching at the door. So what he's saying is this. He is saying that when we sacrifice to him, we are fighting sin. We are fighting different temptations in our lives that are all around us, which we all would agree, yeah, there, there are. 
When you and I sacrifice to God, we are combating something. It's not like, well, God needs some money, so I guess we got to give him money. No. He knows how this affects the whole relationship. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Interesting when that refers to money. If you don't know this, other places in the Bible talk about you can't serve more than one master. And in fact, it even talks about the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I love you enough to share this stuff with you because I want you to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And you can't do it based on the outcome. You go after the execution, sacrifice. Katie and I do this. I've been doing it since I was a kid. And when Katie and I got married, we decided to do it. If you don't know the history of us, when we got married, I did not have a job and she worked five hours a week. I was very impressive to her father. We didn't have money. The government helped us get food each month. And we lived off of oftentimes birthday money, anniversary money, and frankly, just gifts from family. And every time we got one, we would take the best portion of it. According to the Bible, the best portion is the first 10%. Yeah, the first 10%. And we would, at that time, we would write a check to our church and give it to God and then freak out because we didn't then know how we would pay our mortgage or definitely we didn't know how we'd get groceries. And every time God provided, every single time he provided, I challenge you to walk into a relationship with God that isn't just about him sacrificing for you join a two-sided relationship. It's so much better. I encourage you to, be, to begin a, a life of sacrificing. Now, uh, this takes me to one of my favorite quotes, Theodore Roosevelt. In any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The worst thing you can do is nothing. So let me set that on your side of the table. And my prayer is for you that you would become to know God in a rich relationship. And I'm telling you, it requires sacrifice. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, what a significant lesson. God, I pray for, for all of us, everyone willing to listen. God, help us to put our guard down, to not push back on your truth. God, we wanna love you with all of our mind. Lord, this, this, this is tough. God, for those who, who are saying maybe back to you, not in a very loving way, God saying to you, I, I can't do this. I don't know how to do I can't do this. God, would you provide for them in miraculous ways? Would you bless them in ways that are literally supernatural? For those, Lord, who are saying, I, I'm not gonna do this. I, I won't do this. God, would you show them grace and mercy? and walk with them and help them see that it is a rich relationship with you. God, help us to be a church that stays generous, sacrificial. May you receive all the glory, all the honor for anything ever done through this church. We pray this in your name, amen.